Welcome to the First Intuition Student Forum podcast. On this episode, we talk about transferable skills. We recorded the session in front of a live Zoom audience, and if you'd like to join a future show, you can register. I've put a link in our show notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the First Intuition Student Forum and podcast. My name is Ben Bullman. Behind me, out of the window, the thunder and lightning is crackling. Apologies if we get cut off or broken up. But I'm joined this evening by my good friend and colleague, sitting from his home in Essex, David Malthouse. Good evening, Dave. Hi there, Ben. No, no such thunderstorms yet down here in Essex. But as we're only a short way away from you, I dare say whatever happens in Cambridge will be drifting down here in due time. And we're both, after recording the podcast session and the student forum tonight, heading off. My daughter's got another netball match. I'll be taking an umbrella. I don't know if netball won't get called off for the rain. She'll be playing outside. I wonder in a, a thunderstorm whether it's the best idea to be underneath a metal post. She, she plays goal attack, so she is in the line of line of attack if the, the post gets struck. You're off to a hockey match, Dave. Yeah, I am. It's it's summer hockey season for us. So I'm off with my boys to go and play some summer hockey this evening. I, I think thunder and lightning is probably one of the few weather conditions that causes outdoor sports to be to be called off unless there are waterlogged pitch issues and things like that. And generally with hockey, the, the artificial pitches can take quite a lot of water. So it's generally not rained off. So it's yeah, thunder would definitely be something extreme wind would cause cause us not to play and probably obscene amounts of snow but other than that we play in most weathers good well we're recording this one nearly in the middle of may so i don't think you're going to get much snow down in the chelmsford region and it doesn't look too windy outside so. how's your week going dave what have you been up to i understand you've been in london today i have been in london today i bet it's day one of a Camtex. So I've been down there for the day, um, which uh, have you ever been to a Caltex band? I haven't. And I guess we shouldn't presume that people listening to the podcast will know what we're talking about. What is a Caltex all about, Dave? So it's, it's a big exhibition in London. Um, it takes place at the XL um, Exhibition Centre. It's over two days. They also have an Caltex in Manchester. They also have an Accountex, I believe, in Spain. There's also an Accountex Australia. So um, it, it, there are growing Accountex um, exhibitions going on. It's a two-day event. There are loads and loads of different businesses exhibiting there. So our friends at Zero were there, and I know that one of our, one of our friends, Vicky, was on the Zero stand. Um, and I think we, I don't know if you ever talked with Vicky in many years ago, but she did she did some teaching for first intuition a while back as well. Um, so Zero were there and Sage were there and QuickBooks were there and a whole multitude of different people that provide services to the accounting industry. And I think there were 10 different um, auditoriums where they had speakers that came on and talked about things about running your firm, things about kind of leadership, about recruitment, about marketing and sales, all focused on the accounting industry. So I spent a, a day there looking, speaking, uh, speaking to people. Um, I met our, our friends from the ICAW and our friends from the ACCA were there and I had the chat with those. I didn't get to speak to the AAT people because they were in a slightly different area that I didn't actually have time to get to. Um, and I saw a number of really good speakers. Um, and I also had a delicious bagel for lunch as well, which is one of the, the highlights of my culinary week. So have you come away with any inside gossip? Was there anything that wowed you? Anything that you thought, I'm going to go back and tell people at FI about this? 
Well, the, and this is quite quite interesting, I guess, for the um, for for people working in practice. There was a, a people talking about um, practice firms and what the successful practice firms are looking at doing at the moment. And um, we all know that we're under a squeeze in terms of cost of living at the moment, and that's no different for accountancy firms that are seeing all of their overheads increasing. Um, but there was a lot of talk about firms putting their charge-out rates up and increasing their charge-out rates. And there was um, one talk that I went to where someone actually volunteered the fact that they had, on average, increased their charge-out rates over the last year by 60%. And they haven't seen a loss of clients. Okay, so they just effectively that 60% was hitting straight onto their bottom line. Um, now, in terms of um, other things that people are, are looking at, is ensuring that um, work is actually charged. And there's there's a good number of accountants that I spoke to who um, were, were confessing to me that they were doing more work than they actually billed their clients because they were really apprehensive about adding more hours onto a client's bill than the client was expecting. So they were writing off lots of time and they were kind of, after kind of networking and speaking to other people, they were kind of thinking, well, if I'm doing more work than I would normally do and I'm doing extra things, I actually deserve to be compensated for that rather than thinking my client is not going to pay. So there, there were lots and lots of people talking about fees. Um, and then the other thing people were talking about is efficiency and trying to get efficiencies in the way that people worked, looking at automation a lot more, looking at removing kind of like human tasks that don't add value. So making sure that the, the people in the firms are actually adding value to clients and they're not just processing and doing transactional work which can all be automated so lots of things I think we've seen in other industries but just interesting to hear people from various different accountancy firms talking about kind of those issues. Brilliant and, and adding value is something that really aligns with the topic for this evening's podcast session we're talking about transferring or sorry transferable skills skills that are human skills skills that you can demonstrate in your job things that you've maybe learned, experienced, but they are transferable by definition. They can transfer into other industries, other roles. They're things that are useful in society, in your personal life. And they're the sorts of skills that employers are really identifying as the ones that will not be replacing humans with AI technology and robots. And I suppose that adds to your, your view there on the, the things that really add value to clients tend to be those more human related skills. Yes, yeah. And I think it's something that's been documented um, quite widely that, that there are lots and lots of things that machines can do, but machines are not very good at building relationships. Machines are not very good at kind of explaining things in different ways that different people will understand them and being able to, you know, as you say, give that human element, but you know, it, it is the the interactions that we have, and it's the the people that we interact with. And there was there was a, a lovely phrase that one practice manager used today, where he talked about, and um, in, in his firm, he said that it was people that come first, clients come seconds, and his view was that it's about people relationships. It's not about do I have a relationship with a business. It's do I have a relationship with Ben at that business or Sally at that business or Ishmael at that business or whoever it is, do I have a relationship with those individuals? Because that's what creates loyalty. That's what means that we generate value when we're talking to those individuals rather than I have a relationship with first intuition. So, well, you know, it's, it's about the people. It's not about the, the business as a whole. So I, I quite like that as an idea that it, it's about people rather than you know, about clients. 
fits in with first intuition. We've still got branding that says where people count, a clever play on words, but emphasizing the people. I agree 100%, Dave. In, in my life, I remember the people that I've worked with in different roles, the people I've interacted more than where they were potentially working at the time. Something we have done some sales training together over the years, haven't we? And something you learn in sales is people buy from people. You need to build that level of rapport, that human interaction. All great stuff and, and things that I'm sure we'll touch on when we get into our transferable skills topic in a moment. It's not a new topic, though. I was looking back. We actually did a podcast on transferable skills back in May the 4th. May the 4th being Star Wars Day. Back two years ago, 2021. So it's almost two years since we talked about this topic before. It was actually an episode, Dave, that you couldn't attend. So it was me and Amy joining um, to talk about those transferable skills. We, we picked a couple. The two we talked about were communication and leadership. We're not going to go back over old ground, but my first plug for this evening is to maybe go back. If you like what we're talking about this evening, go back and listen to the one that we recorded two years ago, just over now, May the 4th, 2021. If you search up Transferable Skills First Intuition Podcast, you'll find it and go and have a listen to that one. But it's something we hear a lot of. Did you hear the term transferable skills a lot? Yeah, I, I use it a fair amount as well. Um, so it's, it is something that, that I, I hear about. And it's something that I think that we can use to help us kind of get ahead or help us get an advantage in certain situations. Um, and recognising where we have those transferable skills is something that I think is really important for us, for our career development, um, and, and you know, to, really to help us in life understand the things that we can and things we can't do. Do you know what it always reminds me of? And I had this thought this afternoon when I was, I've been working from home today, I was sitting in the kitchen and it came into my head and I searched it up and found the YouTube clip. Were you a fan back in the day, Dave, of The Office, the sitcom, the Ricky Gervais one, the UK one? I know it was spun off into America and they're pretty good. But but did you watch The, the Office? I, I did, Ben, yes. I, I, am a, I was a, an Office viewer. Do you remember the episode where it's appraisal day in The Office and David Brent, the Ricky Gervais character, the manager of The Office, is conducting the, the staff annual appraisals? And he does the appraisal of Keith, the in-house accountant. I don't, uh, I don't recall it offhand. So go on, Ben. What happens? So in in the in the sitcom, Keith's in for his appraisal, pre-populated form, as most of us do during appraisal that he's filled in. The first question is strengths, and the manager, David Brent, challenges him and says, Keith, un under strengths, you've put accounts. And then he says, I, I was looking for more. I was looking for some of your skills. Are there anything you'd like to add? And the accountant just turns around, Keith, and says, no. And I, I think that potentially portrays maybe a, a stereotypical public perception of accountants. I know we try to do a lot to dispel that. I know our students are great at showing there is no such thing as a stereotypical accountant anymore. But I do worry that those, those strengths a strength, a transferable skill is not accounts. We need to delve into what makes us great accountants and what are those skills that can be transferred into other areas of our lives, our career development. 
I mean, I mean, I would hope that if you are an accountant, one of your strengths is, you know, <laughs> fundamental accounting. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that the, the thing there is really just to look at, in order to be a successful accountant, it's not good enough nowadays just to be really good at accounts. And I, I would challenge you to find a accountant that's working anywhere that doesn't have a myriad of other skills besides that core element of accounts. Um, and, and I think sometimes we get so swept up in our job title and you know we're really proud of the exams that we've got and the certificate that we've got on the wall and that achievement that we think that's what's most important to anyone looking at us is that we've got this qualification and we've got these amazing technical skills when we've got so many other skills that we should be proud of and we should be shouting about as well that are, are going to help us progress in our careers. And I think there is a risk that we see these as, as mutually exclusive, or actually they all overlap and make us who we are. I think it's exactly right. We need to be incredibly proud if we've worked hard and we've got AAT qualifications or ACCA qualifications that we can show people. They demonstrate our technical competence. I think it's quite often, though, these other skills that people are intimidated to talk about maybe that they struggle to verbalize what these skills are and the last podcast session we encourage people to think about practical examples if not it runs the risk of just being a list of buzzwords we're going to talk about some of them in a moment but when you are in front of someone you need to practically demonstrate how have you demonstrated these skills is there a particular task a particular piece of work a really nice observation in the chat box Someone talked about the great role that she's in now, but she used examples from her personal and her own life experiences. It doesn't have to be things that you have actively done at work, but by definition, they're transferable to future tasks you might be able to conduct at work. I did some research this afternoon, Dave. Shall we, shall we play a little game? Go on then. So Love I, games. I, was, I was searching. And I came across the World Economic Forum and they have got on their website the top 10 skills required in 2023 in the world of work. I've got the list one to 10. Right. And you said these are things that actually accountants are in a great position because we do get involved in lots of stuff. Shall we see if we can go through one to 10 and see if we can spin them into things that a stereotypical accountant or an accountancy student would be coming across would be doing okay go for it so should we start should we we do it in one to ten so the top skill the top thing they were looking for in 2023 easy one for you to start with dave is analytical thinking do you think all of the first intuition students should be able to demonstrate their ability to think analytically? I would hope so. I, I would hope that every accountant has got that, that ability um, to, to think in analytical terms. Um, I'm always asking students, why do things happen? So if a profit margin has changed and it's gone from 10% one year to 12% the next year, why has that happened? You know, can, can we do a bit of an analysis to look at the reasons behind that? What has caused that profit margin to change? And regardless of where you work in finance, I'm sure someone has asked you that question where they said, why has that gone up? 
Why has that gone down? Why has that changed? Are Or are we selling more than we sold last year? Are we making more profit? Has our payroll costs gone up? You know, it's people will ask things like, what's your payroll as a percentage of turnover? And all of those things are, are, are things we may need to calculate, then we may need to explain. And it's that explanation that is that analysis skills that we have or skill that we can we can show that we have. Brilliant. Standard approach there. And this comes up now in so many of the separate exams for each of the qualifications. I'm given some data. I need to extract the key pieces of data. I need to say why this might be happening. And so what does that mean for the future of the organization? And that is textbook analytical thinking. So I think a big tick for number one, I think everybody listening to this podcast, if you're currently studying, currently working in the world of accountancy and finance, should be really, really clear that you are demonstrating analytical thinking skills. Number two, creative thinking. And this one is actually the fastest growing one. They've got a further article on their website that talks about future-proofing your skills. In 2023, creative thinking is the, the second most required skill, but it's the one that they've anticipated to be the fastest growing required skill in the next five years. Where do we think our accountants stand with their creative thinking, Dave? When I was an accountant, I had to prepare information and I had to give it to a board of directors. And on that board of directors, we had people that were not accountants, but had other discipline skills. So they were kind of scientists or very technical people, HR people, IT people. And one of the things that I had to do is think very carefully about how I was going to prepare and present information to them. Because giving them a set of financial statements or you know, a set of management accounts that looked like a set of financial statements would just confuse them. So I had to be creative in how I put together that data. So I had to use lots of graphs. I had to minimize the amount of numbers to focus on the key things that they needed to be aware of. I had to think about how it was presented, how it was laid out, just to show the key things that they needed and then make sure that I had answers to the questions that I was that, that they were going to ask. So it, it, I had to be creative in that in that way of how I presented information. That doesn't mean that I have to be very good at art or very good at drawing or anything like that. I, I just have to think creatively about how am I going to get these numbers to actually sync in with various different people. And just a caveat: let's be careful not to confuse that with the term creative accounting which has got all sorts of negative ethical connotations. We're not talking about creatively making up the numbers. We're talking about a creative way to present that information, doing it in a, a different style that means it makes much more sense or really communicates that, that the key points around those. So be creative in your, your presentation skills. The other area I think creative thinking overlaps with is problem solving. And increasingly in the exams now, I see requirements where students need to make suggestions and recommendations on improvements to things. I would argue that's demonstrating creativity. You are thinking how to improve things, making suggestions on ways that the system could be done better. Ready for number three. Okay, number go for it. Three, number three on the list of skills for 2023 is resilience and agility. Do we think a stereotypical accounting student can deal well with change, Dave? I would hope so. 
um, on the basis that if you're if you if you're not dealing with change, it's going to be very very difficult to deal with different tax returns every year. Um, on the basis of the tax rules change every year, the tax return forms change every year, the way that it's disclosed to revenue changes every year. You have to be resilient to recognise the knowledge you had last year is going to be slightly out of date next year, and you need to make that change and keep up to date. So I think that the ability to do that does show that you can cope with change. Um, in terms of things like resilience, I think you have to be resilient as a uh, as, as an accountancy student. Um, it's very unusual in my experience to get a student that passes every single exam in their entire journey first time. And being able to come back from a setback and still complete your qualification shows huge amounts of resilience. Um, and that's something you shouldn't ever shy away from. If you have had situations where you've been unsuccessful in an exam, it probably felt heartbreaking at the time. It was probably something you were, you know, really reticent to share with people at the time. But it does show a real strength of character to be able to bounce back from those kind of things. And that's something that employers, I think, will look at favourably. You know, if they, if they recognise that, oh, you had a setback with that audit exam, but then, you know, you came back, you studied again in a different way, you made changes, you sat the exam, you passed it, you then went on and passed your other exams, you're now qualified. That to me shows amazing resilience. I think there's also a link there to updates in syllabuses. You talked about tax rules changing every year, but have you had to cope with a syllabus update? The format of the exams changing from when you first started studying to where you are now, the fact that you've been resilient in dealing with the addition of more computerized exams. That really is a, a transferable skill if an employer is looking to launch a new accounting package. They are looking to update a system that is where they're looking for agility in their finance team to to deal with the change, be resilient to any setbacks and any stumbling blocks in that change process. Number four, I think this should be an easier one. Is it Excel? Self-motivation. Self it's not Excel. Self-motivation for number four. What do we think? How could we encourage students to share demonstrative evidence of self-motivating? I think if anyone uh, has studied for an accountancy exam ever in their life, they have to be self-motivated. Um, it, it's very, you know, they're very challenging exams. It's very difficult to do a full day's work and then sit down and study at the end of that day. It's really hard to keep going. Um, and I think that shows amazing determination and you know amazing motivation in order to do that. So I think you'd have absolutely no problems being able to demonstrate you have that if you've been through that kind of journey. Brilliant. Yeah, I think the fact that you've got the books out, that you've given your own time to study, that you've motivated yourself to sit an exam by a set deadline, all of those are, are great transferable skills and things that you really should be championing about yourself. Halfway, number five. Number five in our top 10 skills for 2023 is curiosity. And they, they link that in brackets with lifelong learning. What do we think for that one for a transferable skill for our, our student base, Dave? I, th I think that it's something that if you are part qualified, so if you're currently doing exams right now, I think you quite easily demonstrate that you have a curiosity because you're learning. And if, if you weren't curious and you weren't willing to learn and wanting to learn, you wouldn't be studying. So I think that works quite nicely. Now, if you are five years post qualification, 
I don't think you can kind of rely on that the same way. But what I would look at there is what are you doing for CPD? You know, if you're taking your CPD requirements seriously as an accountant, you are doing those things that are going to help you to develop in your career. So you're you're curious, you're looking forward and saying, what skills am I going to need to make sure that I'm really on it to continue to be able to do my job effectively over the next five to 10 years? That shows amazing curiosity. Now, if you are an accountant that has got qualified, has sat on their certificate and is using um, CPD as a tick box exercise to say, oh, I'm sure I went to a seminar or two, then that tells me you probably don't have that level of curiosity. So I think that if you are you know, the kind of accountant that I expect to come out at the end of a series of qualifications where you are wanting to continue to update and continue to improve your skill set, I think you have no problems showing you've got that level of curiosity. You know, I really hope we don't have too many of those people that are, I've got my certificate, that's it, I'm done. I'm not learning a thing ever again in my life because that's, I hope, not the the kind of the attitude that we fostered throughout their time at first intuition. I personally think that curiosity one plays very strongly into the hands of a, a group of students, quite a substantial group of our student base who are coming to accountancy study later in life. They have career changed. And it's, it's quite good to convey to people why you've made that change, what sparked your curiosity in finance. And I've spoken to lots of students that have given a really compelling reason why they got interested in finance and they're now pursuing that as a, a career. I think something that you mentioned you've done today, going to conferences is a way you can demonstrate curiosity, not going with an agenda as such, just going to be curious, looking what's out there and mentioning that you do keep on top of the, the industry, that you do read industry publications, that you're curious online and you find stuff, you research stuff. Number six, this one's in, in your ballpark, Dave. Number six. <laughs> technological literacy so i suppose that is the excel piece that you just mentioned but the the sixth most required skill in 2023 is technological literacy what do we think we could encourage students to use to demonstrate that one i i struggle to think of an accountant that's not using um it systems in the workplace um I think we need to think a little bit carefully about the kind of IT systems that we are using. So there, I know there are some firms, there are some businesses out there that maybe haven't switched to the most up to the minute type of reporting. So I have heard of some businesses that are you know, doing a lot of work kind of manual data analysis using Excel, where a lot of that can now be automated. So um, I think that we do need to look at the systems we're using. And, and something that I, I would take a leaf out of um, one of our colleagues' um, books, um, Ben, our, our, um, our finance manager in Chelmsford is a chap called Danny, who was uh, an apprentice. He did three apprenticeships with us. He's now finished his level seven um, um, ACCA um, apprenticeship. He finished his qualification about a year ago. And over the last year, he's made a, a point to really look at the data that we produce and how that's presented and how he can use different bits of technology to present that in a different way. And he's used that curiosity skill we talked about to really make sure that he's on top of his game when it comes to technology. So I think two things there, if you are working at the cutting edge of you know, IT and IT systems in the workplace, you've probably got those skills. If you're not, 
there's nothing to stop you looking outside of your firm at what other businesses are doing. That's why events like Accountex today were great because I saw so many different software vendors that had so many different systems different businesses could use to make their accounting processes work more efficiently or, or, or more quickly. So uh, it's being aware of what's out there. And you know, sometimes you, you do actually have to play around with some of those new technologies to work out how they're going to work. And not be scared off to do that. I think sometimes people feel they are too out of date to go back into it. But actually, everybody yes. gets out of date really quickly in the world of technology, don't they? So in a yeah. way, that's not a barrier. That just means mm. you can get involved in the, the most up to date stuff. Go and, as I say, yeah. do some research, find out what's out there. Yeah. And that's that's a frustration of mine is where I, I've, I've seen people that have been scared of applying for roles because they've looked at the job spec and the job spec says that you need to have experience of X, Y, Z accounting system. And, oh, I've never used that system before, so I cannot apply for that job. OK, if you've got that attitude, yeah, don't apply for it. But what I personally would encourage that person to do is, first of all, go online and look at what that accounting system is like. Look at who produces that accounting system. Is it possible to go onto their website and look at a demo of that accounting um, system? The reality is that, you know, although we may have our favourite accounting system, they're all based on the same fundamentals. You know, double entry accounting has been around for a very, very long time and all systems are based on those fundamentals. So the way that, say, QuickBooks looks versus the way that Zero looks versus the way that Sage looks, yeah, they may look different, okay, but the fundamentals that underpin them are the same. And you know, most of them, and this has just been pointed out in the chat box as well, most of those software companies will provide you with training. And most of that training is freely available because they want people to use those systems. So because you haven't used it before, isn't it a reason why you shouldn't go for, go forwards and uh, and apply for that job role? Because you can say, I've used these four different accounting systems. I know this one is very, very similar. You know, and you can be really impressive and say, actually, I've been onto their website and I've done their online training course. You know, and it's like, well, this person's actually taken an interest in the role. That, to me, shows that curiosity we talked about earlier and keeping up to date with that technical technological competence. The other thing I wanted to mention on that one, it's clearly very important. It does, I say only, but it does only rank sixth. And it's only one of the 10 things we're talking about this evening. I do think we hear lots in the media about everything is all about technology. And it's clearly got a massive role to play and will continue to play in the world. But it is not the only skill they are looking for. There are nine others that we're going through this evening that, that you can also emphasise and play on. I actually think we're in a world at the moment where technology is very, very important um, because at the moment there's there's still a lot of interaction between humans and that technology. We, we still kind of like are almost like cyborgs where we do some of the work, technology does other parts of that work. Now, as that technology becomes better and becomes stronger, that technology almost pushes us out of those roles that I consider to be quite transactional. And if the technology does all that work, we're at the end of it taking the work that that person's done. We're like the, you know, the partners and the managers of the firms that we used to work in, Ben, where the machines have done the work. Now we need to take that work and we need to make it kind of humanized so people can understand and interpret it. So I actually think that we're in a period of time now where technology is really important. I think that in the future, 
a lot of the roles that we've got are going to be taking what technology's done and then using that for some other purpose. You know, unless you are a real tech head, in which case you'll be there working with and manipulating and adjusting and updating and improving those systems and working with them. But I think for most of us, definitely for, for me and you, Ben, I would imagine that you know, if we were working in a practice in 15 years' time, then we would be working with the data the machines to put together for us. I think it links quite nicely, actually, onto number seven on the list. At the moment, technology can do a lot of the, the manual tasks. I would be very reluctant for that technology to then send the information straight to the end user client. And number seven tells us another key transferable skill, attention to detail. How do we think our, our students would, would be able to emphasize attention to detail? Okay, so two things. First of all, if you've sat a professional exam, if you've carried out audit work, um, if you've been an audit manager, if you've overseen someone else's work, I think you can show attention to detail because you don't do those things unless you have got good attention to detail. So I think we can quite easily show that you know, accountants, by our very nature, doing reconciliations, making sure that things balance, that shows great attention to detail. You can't reconcile a VAT account unless you've got great attention to detail. People that don't have good attention to detail can never get their VAT accounts reconciled. So I think we, we show a lot of that through the things we do. Now, one of the things that can really, really let you down, and this is something that I've seen personally this week, is if you're claiming that you've got good attention to detail, when you apply for that role, make sure that the grammar is correct in your covering letter. Make sure that your spelling is correct. I don't see how your spelling can't be correct when you've got spell checks nowadays. If you are asked to do something in the application, make sure you do that thing. Now, we're at the moment advertising for an admin role in our office in Chelmsford. If anyone wants to apply, feel free to do so. And um, we ask people to send in their CV with a covering letter to explain why they'd be suitable for the role. Simple, two documents, one covering letter, one CV. Now, one of the things we're looking for is we're looking for someone with great attention to detail. Now, if someone just says, here's my CV without a covering letter, they are gonna get rejected, that's it, they're done. They are not gonna go any further. Now, we're getting you know, kind of 60, 70 people applying for a role, instantly I'll get rid of a load of people because they haven't got the attention to detail that means they can read a job spec and actually give me the information that I need. So you, know, you can shoot yourself in the foot if a job is saying we need great attention to detail and you are not paying great attention to detail in your application process. I think it's a vital, vital skill and something that accountants are expected to be able to do. They are expected to review documents. They're expected to review work and pick up on the errors and correct them or flag up the errors. So I, I think attention to detail, again, should suit the world of the accountant student. It's something that you will be being tested on, the ability to proofread, the ability to go back over and just re- check your work. We're on to number seven, another human skill that they're looking for in 2023 is the skill of empathy and active listening. Empathy and active listening. Hard to demonstrate in an exam context, I guess, but how do you think a student maybe could demonstrate their empathy? Okay, so 
Empathy, I always think of as, as being understanding someone else's point of view or understanding someone else's perspective. Um, and I always differentiate it from sympathy because sympathy, I always think, is that um, I understand your perspective and I agree with you. And I'm showing you sympathy because I'm on your side. Now, I don't think you can be sympathetic to everyone's circumstances because sometimes, you know, people can, may have an issue or a problem with something. You think, actually, I don't agree with you there. Okay, so you can't necessarily have sympathy, but everyone can have empathy. Everyone can understand. I understand you are upset by this. Okay, I wouldn't be upset by it. Okay, I don't necessarily think this issue, but I understand you do. And so as a result, I'm going to act in a way that's sensitive to the fact that you feel upset about this. So I think empathy is all about understanding someone else's perspective. Now, if you're an accountant, you've got lots and lots of different, as we call them, stakeholders that we need to interact with and talk with. And you need to understand their point of view and their perspective. Now, I've quite often spoken to sales teams where sales teams have said, we've been brilliant this month. I don't understand why profit's down. And I kind of know they haven't been brilliant. And they're pointing the finger at another department for overspending. Now, I've got to be sensitive to what they're saying because I don't want our top salespeople getting upset and leaving the business. I've got to be sensitive to what they're saying. But I've also, I don't really agree with them. And so being able to balance those different stakeholder needs and being able to keep those different parties happy and on side, I think shows amazing empathy. Okay, it doesn't mean that you're siding with any party, because I think we've got to be really good politicians sometimes as accountants to not be seen to be on the side of one particular party over another. And I think that if you have got those kind of things where you report to different people or they report to you, I think that you can demonstrate empathy by showing how you've been able to understand their perspective and you've been able to you know, make sure that they're happy, make sure that they, they're still on side, but without kind of being too sympathetic and risking upsetting everyone else in the organisation. Brilliant, brilliant advice. And, and thinking about it, lots of the exams get you to consider the perspective of multiple stakeholders. So that the more you're talking about that, the more I'm thinking, yeah, loads of students should be able to relate that back to things that they've seen in, in study questions. Two left. We're on to number nine. The number nine top skill for 2023 is social influence. Something we've talked a bit about on the podcast in previous episodes, but your ability to be uh, an influence on society. Where do we see the accountant's role placed on that one, Dave? It's something that as, as accountants, we have got a, a duty towards. Um, I, I, as we know, kind of one of the things that we talk about as accountants is being kind of ethical, as having a duty to society as a whole, to be able to uphold the profession. And that's something that I think we should all take really seriously. You know, there, there was, I know you remember, Ben, if we go back kind of 20, 30 years or so, the, the image of accountants had been tarnished because there have been a number of corporate scandals, number of businesses have gone bust, loads of people have lost their jobs, investors have lost money, pension funds have been destroyed. And people ask the question of where, where were the accountants? Because the accountants should have seen this coming. And you know, the, one of two things happened with those accountants, either they were in on it and they were helping to perpetrate the fraud, or alternatively, they knew something was going on, but they stood by and let it happen. 
Uh, and as accountants, we have a duty to speak out when things go wrong. We've got a duty to make sure that things are done correctly. And I think that we can talk about the training that we've had in exams that, that's, you know, that, uh, and the impact that's had on us and how we've been successful in those exams when we've looked at those things. But I think also we can talk a little bit about maybe how we have had the power to influence people, where maybe someone wants to put that expense claim through next month rather than this month, because it improves this month's figures if it's excluded, but we know it should be recorded in the right period. So I think those kind of influencing skills where we've been able to influence other people by showing that the right thing needs to happen, I, I think that would be an example of how we could show those kind of skills. Um, what would you say, Ben? I, th I think you make a really valid point there. And I, I wonder, because the ethics is now so culturally ingrained in everything we do, it's in all of the courses, it's in all of the syllabuses, students are really, really used now to talking about the ethical principles that we all live by as accountants. We lose sight, potentially, that those ethical principles are maybe not as widely seen outside there in the real world as we believe they are, because that's everything that we've seen and studied when we've been doing our accountancy exams. A, a real life example, so a bit of social influence. I think we've talked previously. I'm still a governor at the primary school around the corner. My daughters have left there now, but I still sit on the governing board on their community council. And I was a bit taken aback when I first joined it that I don't think everybody on that governing body was aware of the ethical principle of confidentiality as, as I was. I'd been brought up with it. It's ingrained in everything you do in the world of accounts. It's one of our five ethical principles. And I think sometimes we downplay ourselves a bit by thinking, do you know what? We have got an ability to share those ethical principles with the, the wider world, the people we interact in. In exam questions, Dave, you'll have done this with classes. If they tell you somebody is an ACCA or an ICAW or an AAT member or student, I say to the, the class, look, we're fine to say they have to effectively live and die by the five ethical principles. If it is the chief executive of the company, he or she is not a qualified accountant. Those five ethical principles have not been effectively rammed down their throat in all of their training, all of their study. Our job is to explain that to them and say, look, had you not thought about the implications of this, the ramifications for this, my profession would see this being the principle we should talk about now and make sure we are upholding in the right way. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And it, and it is very, very easy to, to forget that other people haven't had that training, especially when they're in a, a more senior position than you within an organisation. Um, I think that if we, if you are brought up in that world of accountancy practice, when you go out into the the big bad world, it is remarkable about how many people don't know things that we think of as being fundamentals in terms of behaviour. But then it also works in other ways as well. I, I, I as you know, I, I volunteer and I'm on the um, the committee of a the local um, hockey club, Braintree Hockey Club. If anyone's looking for a team to play for, um, and. I quite often at the exec meetings have to talk about, um, about why we can't do certain things. So they were talking the other day about linking the junior players up with the senior team and maybe travelling to um, to games to give them a taste of what it's like to play adult hockey. And people raised issues about how could the people that could, these youngsters that can't drive get to games and they started talking about, oh, they could get lifts with other players. And I had to point out the safeguarding risks that were there. 
Uh, and you know, they said, oh, I didn't even think about that. And it's just, you know, it's ingrained in me because I educate young people on a daily basis. Every day I go through those doors, I'm instantly thinking safeguarding. You know, it's just natural. We're all thinking about it because we have got young people under our care and we've got a duty and a responsibility to those young people to look after their safety. But I, I realise that most other people, most normal people out there that are not you and I, you know, they don't work in that environment and they wouldn't automatically think, oh, there's a safeguarding risk there. We are potentially putting a young person in a position where, you know, they could be endangered if they were put with the wrong kind of or the wrong person that hadn't gone through a strict vetting process. So, it's, yeah, it's very, very easy to forget that not everyone has had the training that we've had, whether that's accountancy training, whether it's legal training, you know, whether it is you know, things like safeguarding training. So that was number nine, social influence. The last one, 10 on our list of the top 10 skills for employability in 2023 is the skill of quality control. I thought that an, an interesting one. It creeps in right at the bottom. Number 10, quality control. What's your thoughts of the standard role of an accountant, someone in finance, uh, a student of ours and their ability to control quality? Well, it's something that, that every accountant has passed an exam in. So <laughs> I think we can point to the fact that we've all looked at quality management, quality assurance, total quality management. So we can look at those things in terms of have we studied them in exams? But then I would think about how have we used them in the workplace? How have we looked at quality control in the workplace? What is our quality control process? And I know definitely working in audit, there was a quality control process that ran through our audit files of you know, doing the work, having the work reviewed, having a second review, and we had hot and cold file reviews. So we see lots of quality control take place there. But we are actually in those roles, quality controllers ourselves because we are ensuring the quality of the financial statements that are being put together. So in its essence, audit is a kind of quality control procedure that takes place. So we can see the work that takes place there. Likewise, reconciliation work, that's quality control. How good is the quality of the, you know, the people that are recording bank transactions? If you work in internal audit as well, you need lots of quality control that takes place there. So a lot of the work we do as accountants, if it's not purely transaction work, is around quality control. Okay, so, you know, are we ensuring the quality of the, the accounting product that's being put out there? Two words I use a lot in teaching courses, prevention and detection. And I think that yeah. comes up a lot in lots of different contexts. Both of those are ways that you can demonstrate your ability to control quality, preventing the error in the first place, or having processes in place that detect it and allow a correction to happen. Um, level four syllabus now for AAT's got the INAC, the Internal Controls Unit, which has got lots of potential for for quality control to be emphasised. Dave, thank you, listeners. I've really put Dave on the spot there. We haven't been through that list in advance. I have have given him that list cold this evening as we've been through one to ten. Dave, I think you've done a great job of turning those into things that students of ours could relate to. I take a lot of confidence from that. I think that's telling me because that was a generic list of employability skills in 2023. It wasn't particularly focused on the finance sector. I think it's reassured me that the accountancy sector, accountancy study is a fabulous place for anybody to be 
because all of these transferable skills are there in abundance. Do you agree? Do you think this really... I, I agree. Um, the thing that I would also kind of, you know, we, we've got a couple of minutes, I think, just about. Um, if we've got people listening that are listening because they're just taking their first steps into an accountancy role. So it may be we've got someone, you know, if, if we just pitch them, they may be they've just decided to study bookkeeping for the first time. You know, they're just getting to grips with debits and credits, you know, and maybe they've, they've been recommended this podcast to listen to. And they're thinking, well, I'm not a qualified accountant. I've only been studying for a couple of weeks. I don't feel that I've got any of those kind of transferable skills. Um, how would you deal with that situation when you're faced with these kind of job adverts that have got, we require analysis skills or we require um attention to detail how would you manage that being someone that's just taken their first steps into the into the world of accountancy well i suppose it, it links to what we said earlier and a comment we had in the chat box from a student that said when they went for their last job role they drew on other experiences so things in your your previous life up until now that can demonstrate some of these skills they don't have to be directly in the world of accounting and finance that's coming. So those transferable skills, overlapping them, is there stuff that you did in a previous job? Is there stuff that you've done in a, a volunteering role that has demonstrated your ability to creative think or show that you're technologically literate? Is there stuff that you've done on a, a previous college course? The other thing I would say to reassure, and on the World Economic Forum website where I got that list of one to 10 from, they did say six in 10 workers will require significant training before 2027. Mm -hmm. So in less than four years time, six in 10 people out there currently doing a job will require significant training. So actually, it shows even if you're fully qualified, you don't rest on your laurels. You don't sit back. These skills are constantly being developed in a way being right back at the start of your training potentially could be the strongest place to be because all of this stuff is going to be given to you in the future modules, the future study courses that you do. Yeah, you I, I, I was um, just remind as we talk through about, and, and I'm, I know I've mentioned this on, on at least one podcast in the past, but I was at the schools event a few years ago and I, I was approached by a young girl who was talking about accounting she was kind of um she didn't seem to have that much self-belief so she didn't she was talking to me but she's kind of a I don't think I'm going to be able to get a role in accountancy because I don't really think that I'm what they're looking for and I was kind of, I was trying to dig in a little bit I thought, well why why do you, you know why do you think that and she said well I haven't really done the right subjects and I said well what, what subjects have you done and one of the things that she talked about is she said that she'd done an A-level in art well, she was studying an A-level in art. And it just reminded me of something that um, a guy called Ed Catmull said. Now, Ed Catmull used to run um, Pixar for Disney. So, you know, he, he worked with some, some of the great artists that, that have created some of the amazing Pixar cartoons. Um, and he said that when a non-artist tries to paint a picture of a lake, they will paint a blue blob in the middle of a piece of paper and a few green bushes around it, and it will look rubbish because they're not an artist. But what an artist does is an artist will look at that lake and they won't see a blue blob. 
they'll see bits of blue and bits of brown and bits of green and bits of white. And when they put all of those things together, they paint an amazing picture of a lake that looks like you're actually there. And what an artist's true skill is, is to be able to look at a picture and to break it down into its individual constituent parts and then put it together again. And that, to me, is the essence of what analytical skills are. And if you can look at the things that you've done and say, I'm an artist, I've painted you know, all of these pictures that I've done as my coursework, and in order to do that, I had to demonstrate amazing analytical skills. And this is what my analytical skills are. That to me is someone I'd want to interview right away because they've got those skills. And I think sometimes it's recognizing, you know, where have I, where have those skills actually been developed for me? And you know, I'll guarantee that of that list of 10, you can find three of those skills that you've developed in a really high level in something that you've done. And it might not be work-based. You may never have picked up an accountancy book. You might be applying for your very first role and you're looking at those lists of key skills. And I'll guarantee you've got a good number of those skills already. You know, unless you're applying to be CEO of Vodafone you know, and you've just left school, which case you probably haven't. Okay? But if you're looking at those entry-level roles and you don't have an experience, despite the fact that they've said we're looking for these skills, you almost certainly have them. It's just a case of identifying where your skills and strengths are. I think that's going to be my final thought for this episode. We've gone through a list of 10. Listen back. Some people who are live this evening have said the list has been very helpful. Go back over those 10. But please, please don't feel you need to be perfect in all 10. Dave's advice there was to we'll break it down and start with three. And actually, if you can pick three of those 10 and give a really credible example a way that you can explain how you have developed those skills, how you've demonstrated those skills, that's going to be phenomenally strong if you're applying for a role. Excellent stuff. Well, the list that Ben put together, we'll put on the show notes for the, the podcast. So um, for those of you that are listening right now, you can take a look at the, the list that Ben linked to. Um, I do just want to say thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone that's taken the time to download. It is much, much appreciated. If you've got the time, if you could leave a review, um, if you could just leave a star review, that would be amazing if you can leave some notes that would be also amazing as well um if you know of anyone that is studying or thinking of studying or has finished studying that you think would benefit from listening to this episode or any others please please share it with them um, we will be back next week um, so it's goodbye from me stay safe everyone and happy studying goodbye everybody Bye.